This is the Strode College Digital T Level Podcast. Right, so uh, unit nine about planning, project management, going very well paid to get into that sort of thing. The people that do the planning, obviously you tell people what to do. And in a way, interestingly enough, the I didn't understand it at first. There's obviously two directions. We talked about this yesterday. There's two directions you can go in with this particular course, this um, support course. One of them is sort of pure support, is supporting other people, which is one of the paths. And interestingly enough, I found out yesterday, that one, task one, is making computers and fixing them, which seemed a bit odd to me, because the path that you're taking is in infrastructure and networking. But in infrastructure and networking, what you do is, why you're paid more money is because you do the planning, you do the implementation, and you oversee it and make sure people do what, they do, what they're supposed to. So the people that are fixing the machines are the ones that you're telling them how to fix it and how to set these things up. Right, so it's slightly different. So the, the, the path that you're taking in support is the planning and implementation and the oversight of this stuff, the management, if you like, which is obviously more, more pay, rather than actually making these things physically, doing them at the bottom level, which isn't as well paid. Again, in most jobs, this is just an aside, in most jobs you get paid the more thinking you do, in a way. Right? That's why if you go to university and various other things, it just shows that you've got a higher level of understanding and you get more pay as a result of that. So again, if you go in, if you left, if you left college after this course, you could get a reasonably good job, but you'd be at a junior level. If you stayed on at university, albeit you'd have that, say it's not really a debt, it's an investment thing, isn't it? You'd have that money you paid for that privilege you would go in at a fairly middle management level and, and not more pay. Now, eventually, that person that left after college would catch up with you, but they wouldn't probably catch up with you. You'd have a lot more opportunity. Going to university does open up all these different opportunities. Like I said, some universities only recruit, or some companies only recruit universities, so it's quite useful. Right, so principles of project planning. Various, again, remember these, think about it when, when you listen back to this, if I don't mention other things, some of these are just define what this is or explain what this is. Other things, because this is an A-level, it's more about synthesising things. At GCSE level, you sort of regurgitate everything you know about this topic. At the A-level, it's saying, here's a certain element, here's another one, how do they relate together, and then synthesise something new from that. Right, so it's slightly different. There is a big jump from GCSE, which is level two, to level three. Because level three, if you're doing A-levels, it's to get you ready for university. And when you go to university, you jump up to level six. So it's a really big jump. That said, you do, you do level five for your first year, and then you do level six. Right, so when you're looking at a project, first of all, what is the scope of that project? The scope is the defining principles of that project. So if we were, if we were to network Strode College, the scope may be just to do this this building, this block, that would be the scope. You could say, well, we have the resources, we have the technology, we have the staff that we can network the whole college. And you say, no, no, that's out of scope. The only scope that we're allowing you to do is just this building C block, right? So the scope is the defining part of the project. How much or how little you do within that scope, right? That's how that's defined. Um, and then within the project scope, you then start to determine, this is how the project management comes in, what do you need to understand, first of all, well, the key thing is, and this is why in your employer set project in a week's time, whatever it is, you're interviewing the network manager. What is the scope of this thing? What, you know, how many machines do you want fixed? What do you want to happen at the end of this? Who are your client base? We won't know that till next week. And how, how much do you want solved? What are the problems you've currently got? Is it speed related? Is it just they're not easy to use? Is it you can't save enough stuff? You're running out of story? Whatever the problem is, 
You've got to talk to them in the first instance. That's why that second task is interviewing the network manager. What equipment do you have? What are you hoping to do? What are the problems? How can I solve them? Without knowing that information, you cannot make any solution. So the first thing is knowing what the client requirements are. And a key thing, the client might say, we need this, this, and this. But you say, well, who are your end users? Who are the customers? Oh, our customers are such and such. That should give you a slightly different scope. So, okay. For you, we're going to set up this nice network, but we're going to test it to death to make sure that if your customer connects to it on a really old laptop, it will still work because the actual it will still work with old technology. Now, most laptops these days, old things move on, don't they? So if you if you're running an old laptop, the actual websites are designed on really up to date browsers. If you've got a really old browser, it won't work properly. But again, you've got to if your customers have said this before. If you're working for a really big contract and your customer is the NHS, they're still running XP machines because they can't afford to upgrade them. So if you're designing something for the NHS and you haven't tested it on a really old browser, and you go, again, lowest common denominator, it's no good working on the really fancy stuff because they might not even have that stuff to run it on. So you're wasting your time and effort. So again, understanding what the customer's needs are, understanding what the end users are doing with this particular product. If you're designing this system, who's accessing it and how are they accessing it and have you tested that? So if you're doing some testing, if you made something out, you've made a new system, you've got to test it all sorts of different ways. Is it far, you know, how quick is the internet? Can you access this site? If you access this, can you download this file type? Can you open that file type, et cetera, et cetera. Um, getting all of those details, all of those requirements will lead you towards building up a business case. The business case is a sort of summary. So what does this company need? They need this, 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 this. Their expectation is for this increase in speed, this increase in volume or traffic, this increase in storage, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got, remember, there's quantifiable things and there's qualifiable things. Quantifiable, 5%, 10%, three hours, five hours, 600 gigabytes. Uh, qualifiable things, it just is nice to use. It feels better. It just feels good. It just makes me feel good when I come to work. Right? They're not hard measures, but again, if you don't, if the customer comes back at the end of the day and says, it's lovely, it's really fast and stuff, but I just don't like using it because it doesn't look good, whatever theme you've chosen. Um, that's quite an important thing. And again, that's going back to, if you haven't asked all the questions of the, of the client, then you haven't solved their problem because somebody is, is somebody quite important. And a lot of times it will come back to, one of the difficulties you might have, just as, an, as a sort of case in point, I suppose, if you won't work for a company, because of time and money, you may not talk to the people at the top of the organisation, right? And they're the ones that make the decision. So again, you make this really nice system. All the technical people love it. And then the person that's in charge, who never switches on, the, switches on their computer once a month, they can't use it because it's too complicated. And all of a sudden, your, your projects fall apart. So you need to try to get to talk to everyone, to get as much information as possible to solve the issues. So within this, identify the, the aims and objectives. So what are the expected outcomes? The customer should say, we need it to be this far, this much faster. We need to be able to store this sort of stuff. We need, we need to be able to add 10 more members of staff, etc. So they'll give you all these measures by which you then go back and make a plan. How do I make those and how do I meet those? Okay. So what are the expected outcomes? Are they measurable outcomes? Are they things that are just opinion outcomes? So again, it is quite valuable if you talk to the customer and say, I just, want, I just want something to look good. And for many people, that's enough, isn't it? And it may be, again, this is where your experience comes in. So they'll say, you know, we, we, we want it to look really good. And you say, well, you've, you've specified that you want Windows 10. Are you aware that Windows 11 is out and it looks much nicer? Oh, I wasn't aware of that. But what does it take? Well, it's going to take a little bit more money because you're going to have to make the machine specs a little bit higher in order to run that stuff. But it, you'll, you'll appreciate it. 
So that's how you use your experience against it. Um, then what you'll do, do, we haven't done this, and I don't think you do it for the exam, but a stakeholder map. So who are all the different people? You might just do a chart. And it's going to be like an organisational diagram. At the top, it's going to be the stakeholders, might be the shareholders or something. You've got the CEO, the, the senior managers, the middle managers, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll have a hierarchical tree. Some organisations are flat, so all the managers are the same, slightly different departments. Um, so stakeholders. Who are the stakeholders? Anyone that has some sort of input into this organisation and change. And again, customers, obviously, stakeholders are quite important, but... If people come in, and it may not, again, you may not think about this, but it might be if a reasonably big organisation may not have the in-house skills and expertise to do the tax reforms, the tax returns once a year, right? And there's very skilled accountants will come in and tell you all these different laws and bylaws which will allow them to save extra tax money, which is quite important. But when they come in to do that, or... Again, like if for this college here, when, when Ofsted come in and inspect this college, they'll expect to have some room where they can use the facilities to write down all their reports and, and collate all this stuff. So again, they are stakeholders, even though, and you may not have considered it. So when they turn up, they will turn up with a particular kind of computer which you can't put onto the network. You know, you've not, you've not evaluated it well enough. You haven't asked the right questions again. All comes back to that stuff. Then, very importantly, timelines and deadlines. Again, those always get pushed back, particularly with big complex projects. But the customer will say, this has to be done within this timeline. And if it goes beyond that deadline, usually what you have to do is, is write a, um, a sort of agreement with them that if you go over that deadline, then you'll compensate them in some way. Um, slightly related to that, I suppose, if you pay for an internet service package and you're, they're running your servers, then you, they tend to guarantee what's called 5.9, so 99.999% it'll be working. There's going to be some ups and downs when they're updating your equipment. But if you, and you'll have monitoring software, so if your service drops below those 5.9s, there will be some type of compensation pack package. You'll say, it dropped down to 95%, so we're going to give you 10% back on what we paid, or what you paid us. Um, and timelines are quite important. Can you meet those timelines? And you can, again, as a project manager, you use a Gantt chart generally, where you map out, here's what we're doing for this amount of time, this amount of time. These are the people that are working on it. If we don't make the deadline, these are the penalties that we're going to pay. Um, and usually all of this then aims objectives are linked to the strategic objectives. Everyone remember strategic stuff, strategic decisions. How do you define strategic if it comes up on the exam? Planned out. Yeah. Planned out. Planned out, but very specifically. So you're going to be better than your competitors? That's more of a mid-term thing. Strategic is long-term. That's the key thing about it. Yeah. So the college is currently making strategic decisions about how to get students to come to college in 10 years' time. So they're doing stuff now in the hope that 10 years' time, students will still be coming in in the same sort of numbers and therefore bringing in all that money. Some sort of preparation yeah, long-term preparation. Education Strategic is the decisions you make that are really in the future. Oh, yes, it's like lean choices to a specific yeah. goal. So it's, it's not like uh, got a lot of fluff along bits. It's just what's going to get you to that goal passes. Yeah, and if you think about... So college... Obviously, this we've had a tricky couple of years with staff and things like that. So a strategic thing for the management might be how do we sustain... Keep, how do we get staff in the first place and how do we keep them here over the long term? Because it, if you think about in, in terms of the college, you know, the business, the, the, really the college exists to, to get you people in, isn't it? You're the ones that bring in all the income. 
But in order to get you in, you, you need good, good results. That's your sort of short-term sort of goal, isn't it? Your strategic goals, I guess, are getting some high-paying job. Well, certainly Alex's. Right? That's your strategic goal. You, you, don't know necessarily, you, don't, you don't necessarily care about the little, little bits and pieces in order to get there. But your long-term goal is in 10 years' time, you want to be earning a reasonable amount of money. And you sort of roughly have an idea how you're going to get there. But it's a strategic goal. It's a long-term thing. You're not going to say, by, by doing a little bit of homework today and not doing anything else, that's, that's me sorted with my job in 10 years' time because it won't work that way. But if you say, my strategic goal is in 10 years' time to have a really good paying job, you'll say, okay, what kind of milestones am I going to do? So I'm going to give my, my qualification, then a degree, a good job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So then you, fill, you backfill it. But strategic is what am I going to do over the 10, 15, 20 years' time? Some companies, you know, their strategic plans, you think about a lot of organisations now will be making strategic plans for the next 20, 30 years. If you're a car manufacturer, strategically, you're, you're currently selling your petrol and diesel cars, but you're, you're developing electrical cars because in 2025, they're switching diesel off, aren't they? I think it's 2025. So strategically, those car companies would have been told that four or five years ago. Is it 25? It might be 30. But anyway. They're pushing it out, are they? New cars have to be hybrid. Yeah, so again, strategically, those companies have to say, well, how do we... At the moment, we're make, we've got all our factories set up to make petrol and diesel cars. How are we going to go from here to electric-only cars in 15 years' time? So that's a strategic plan. Yep. So, uh, right, so those are the ways, those are the means and methods and ideas and thoughts about how to get from A to B. You've then got... So how does the company manage to get to those targets and how does it achieve those targets? How does it maintain itself? What are the resources, if you like, that would allow it to go from A to B? First and foremost, people and skills. Most organisations will try to hire the best people they can within the budget that they can allow. Right? So they'll, they'll try and get the best people possible. If you can't afford to get the best, most expensive people, then you've got to put in some place some training to make them the best people. Right, so again, just use an example of the college. The college might, for example, they might hire somebody that's only just started teaching on the proviso that that person may stay for a while in the college. However, that, could, that person might not have the skill set, 100% what they need. So the college would then say, well, here's some extra time. You can go and do some courses and, and improve that skill set and get better at it. Right, so they're building up that skill set they don't currently have. But if, if you don't have the people with the skills, then you can't take on the jobs. So it's really vital to get the best people. And again, it's supply and demand. If you need those really skilled people, then their value goes up and up. And that's the way it works at the moment. Uh, other resource requirements, estimates and costing. So one job within the organisation in project planning is, well, how much is this going to cost? In most cases, it is going to be an estimate because you don't know. If I planned in some sort of huge networking project over, the, over the, these five years... I've got no way of knowing what's going to go on. I had no way of anticipating, I guess, that there would be a war in Ukraine which would push up prices all over the place and all these other factors. Um, the oil shocks that are currently going on which are pushing up prices. So again, when you make these long-term plans, these estimates and costings, you're going to have to build in, and they'll usually build in 10 15% overhead. So, well, this is what roughly it's going to cost at the moment, given that inflation is going up and up and up. Everyone understand about inflation? So given that inflation's going up, how do we build in our costs and estimates 
in order to compensate for that. So again, part of, because inflation goes up and wages, not quite so much, but wages go up as well, the cost of that project over five, 10 years is going to increase. So you have to add that three, four, 5% increase every year. And when you give it to the customer, you say, here's your bill. Now, if after five years, things sort of stay fairly level, you then go back to the customer and say, we, we said it's going to be a million pounds. It's actually 900,000. So here's some money back. And they go, wow, great. We'll keep working with you. So again, it depends how you use it. Or you might take that extra 100,000 and give it to your staff. Great job. Well done. Here's a bonus. So it depends how you do it. But again, you, don't, you work out roughly how much stuff's going to cost over time. But again, there's so many variables. If you planned in um, for computing equipment, it's, it's particularly it's always going up and down in terms of value. Um, so you have to try and put that in as best you can. Again, and that's why you're paid quite well as a project manager, because you've got to build in these with your experience. Say, so, well, I'm going to build in 8 or 9%, because roughly over time, that's what's happened. And that will give us some, we won't lose our shirt over this one. Other resource requirements, so venues and premises. If you're within, like most companies in the UK these days are service companies. And again, we talked about this in terms of you doing support. One of the big areas in terms of a good job with decent money is in training. Training companies um, do pay quite well comparatively. And again, depends how you do. Most companies, most companies will charge £500 a day for somebody to come out and explain how software works, depending on what it's like. Some even more than that. Some of the accounting firms charge two, £3,000 a day for somebody to go out and tell you how to do this stuff. Um, so... And you need a venue to do that. So it could be people come in-house to do it, or you could, most companies, because it's just nice for their customers, once a year they'll, have a, they'll rent out a big fancy hotel, and they'll bring in all their clients, and they'll give them a big nice meal and a dinner, and et cetera, et cetera, in order to show them and keep them on board. So it depends how you're te- teaching, uh, treating your customers. Uh, facilities, again, if your company's expanding, you're going to have to expand the facilities. Um, and you're going to have to, again, in terms of project management and planning, you know, if you're anticipating your company growing, if it's growing a little bit each year, then you should be strategically saying, well, because we're growing 2 or 3% every year, in five years' time, we're going to need another building with another 10 staff or something. So you have to make, that's how you plan stuff out. So uh, facilities, you need to know what buildings you need, what stuff you need to fill those buildings and everything else. And it could be something that's not listed on here, but you might have a change of direction. So you might be a company that does um, hardware support. You might then move into training, in which case you need a new venue in order to facilitate training. And again, you have to plan that stuff out. You can't just do it overnight. You can do stuff at the last minute, but the, the more last minute it is, the more expensive it is. Right? If, if, for example, you were planning on going to, on to Spain for a holiday, it'd be no good tipping up at the airport the day before and expecting a reasonably cheap flight. If you plan ahead, you get a nice cheap flight, you get cheap hotels, all that stuff, yeah? So planning is really important. Uh, Equipment, if you're expanding, or if you're doing jobs, or taking on jobs, or intend to take on jobs, part of your strategic plan is to grow your company, then you're gonna need equipment. And again, you need to get, buying in bulk is obviously more cost effective. If you can buy stuff in, like the college, can buy cheap uh, computers fairly cheaply because they can order six, seven hundred at a time, and yet therefore you get bulk discounts on those types of things. Um, most big organisations, that's why Dell and companies like that can sell their computers quite cheaply because when they buy them from the manufacturers, they buy them at hundreds of thousands at a time, and they say, All right, if you buy a hundred thousand, we'll give you a five percent discount. So they can sell them a lot cheaper than if you want to buy your own one 
And that's why, you know, if you set up your own little company, you're going to have to buy them from these big suppliers, but, but you're not going to be able to buy them that cheaply to pass on the cost. Because if you, if you did it, obviously you're adding value, but if you buy a computer and then add a bit of value to it, people just say, they'll just look at it and say, well, I'll go online and buy one from Dell for 10% less than that, because you can't compete. But again, equipment. Over time, how do you plan to buy the best equipment? And key thing, I think, on yours is, in terms of the evaluation, how can you future-proof this stuff? Right? I don't know how you do it, but I try to. I don't buy the most up-to-date equipment because I can't afford it. I'd get one that's one or two versions behind, which is just good enough, and I can afford to use that, and it just does the job. And companies will do that as well. You know, the college will be buying new computers for the room next door for September, but they're not going to buy the state-of-the-art. I mean, these ones in here, they spent loads of money on the graphics card, but they didn't spend a lot on the actual processor. Yes. Um, is there any, like, websites that you can sell on just that you can sell them. Well, that you can buy from a website. Well, I suppose eBay is probably the cheapest. You buy it, you get a free upgrade as soon as you open yeah. your laptop. Like this, like this one here that I'm literally about to buy. Um, is Windows 10, um, and then you can choose if you're looking at Windows 11. Yeah, it's got to have the right equipment. Yeah, right. Right. But everything will have. Mine came with Windows 11. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah, it's been, it's been out for about six months, isn't it? Because right. it hasn't been out long enough for them to be able to just stop it and like send them up with them installed. So. Right. Yeah. There's loads of different things. That's generally where you can get them from. Are you after a laptop, are you? Are you after a laptop, are you? No, it's from when I was in Tasks 2 or 3, I think. Oh, I see. I, for recommendation, yeah. I mean, they recommend a couple on the, on the brief, don't they? They say use these sites, but yeah. Generally, I think the thing is with eBay, I think, which is sort of related to this anyway, but on companies on eBay tend to be people... They'll. It, Big organisations will do it, like the college will do a refresh, right, and say two or three computer rooms, they'll take those old computers out, chuck them away probably, and then they'll bring in some new ones. A lot of companies will do that. A lot of big organisations will have maybe one or two years behind, so they'll replace their computers every two years in a cycle. So those 50 computers that are two years old, they'll sell to somebody. Somebody will buy them in bulk and they'll stick them on eBay and sell them with a little bit of profit. So you tend to get quite good deals. And they're not old, very old. They're two years old. They're quite good computers. Um, hardware and software, other resource requirements. Again, if you if you're if you're upgrading for any particular purpose, you need to factor in and plan for that cost. If you're going to upgrade your entire organisation to Windows 11, that may need buying new machines, may need more hardware, whatever, software licences, etc., etc. And then finally, stakeholder engagement. If you're making all these changes and plans, it's no good telling people at the last minute. Your customers, they suddenly log on to your website and they find out that you're no longer selling the product that they love because you never told them in advance. If you'd told them, and it's a really popular product, they would have come back to you and said, please keep selling that, otherwise we're going to go somewhere else. Again, so stakeholder engagement, keeping people informed is a really good way to keep your customer base. And these days, increasingly... You know, it's so volatile. People, if yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. If I if I go onto a website and if there's something that, for whatever reason, irritates me, I'll just go somewhere else. I won't try to get around it anymore because there's so much choice in the marketplace. Okay, so that's resources. Then we get into budgeting. Right. So again, the aspect of budgeting is knowing that you've got enough money to pay for what you need. And hopefully I have some left over to give yourself a bonus. If it's your company, if you're running your own little company, you don't really be running it flat so that you're actually 
taking in and getting out exactly the same thing because you won't be paying your own bills. You need to have more coming in than going out. So you've got a little bit of overhead. Um, and again, in terms of planning, if you don't have good estimates and forecasts, forecast is what's going to be in the future. What if analysis? What if we increase the sales price by 3%? What will that get us over time? Well, if all things being equal, it's going to make this difference to us. But don't forget that price of oil is going up, the cost of this is going up, the cost of that's going up. Let's factor that in. Let's push it up to 6% rather than 3% because of these, all up, these other costs. So that's doing some forecasting. How much money are we going to make in the future if we do this? And what other factors are going to input? So again, budgeting tends to be done by accountants. They, again, reasonably well paid, messing around with numbers. The more money they can save you, the more they can get paid, I guess. Uh, financial contingency planning. What if the price goes through the roof? Right At the moment, inflation is currently running at the highest level in 20 years. Right? And the thing about it is inflation is quite destructive because it means that stuff that was a certain value last week is even a little bit more, but your wages are stagnant. So things are getting more and more expensive to buy because of inflation because the, the price is inflating and getting higher than it was a week ago or whatever. So financial contingency, if that happened or if you got hacked or whatever, what would you do to back it up? Most companies work on a very thin sort of profit margin. They're very, and this is what happened during the pandemic. So many companies were dependent on money coming in just enough to pay their bills so they could borrow to pay their bills and it was very close. So when the actual pandemic hit, a lot of them started losing some of their ongoing income. All the people were still asking for their bills to be paid and they just went under unless they got some sort of money. So a lot of companies went under for the pandemic because they had no contingency plan or their contingency plan was uh, it will last a week at best or something like that. Again, three weeks of a pandemic, they've got no money left. So you've got a plan for that stuff. Uh, reasonable and documented assumptions. So when you're budgeting, again, you're going to say the economy is sort of stable, inflation, we sort of know which way it's going. Therefore, let's stick a few hundred thousand in the bank just in case there's some tough times ahead. So you make those types of decisions for planning. Right, all of this is planning, different ways of planning stuff. Cost-benefit analysis. I don't know if you do any of this on your project, maybe to some degree. Right. Cost-benefit analysis. What is the viability? If, if you decided to set up your own little computer company on the high street, right? going back on uh, Fraser's point, you might be able to get a really good reasonable source of places that sells computers at not too bad a value. You then might reconfigure them, clean them up, and then resell them and make yourself some money. But... Given that you're on the high street, you're going to have to pay for rent. And given you may have to have somebody helping you, you're going to have to pay their wages. You've got to figure out where is it at the point where you start making a bit of money. And you'll have to keep upping the price until that, until that happens. Right, so that's the viability. If you do that cost-benefit analysis, you find out, yeah, I could set up a computer shop on the high street, but I'm going to lose my shirt because I can't sell it cheaply enough to make enough money for the number of customers then you're just going to say that's not worth the problem. It's the same for companies. Companies will develop a new product, they'll do some marketing, they'll say, how many people are going to buy this, roughly? And they'll look at it and they'll say, given the cost of everything, it's just not enough to make it viable, it's not bother. And that's what they'll do for most products. Uh, quantifying intended deliverables. So again, if you're making products, increasingly these days, you know, you've got an international marketplace, but can you afford to send that stuff overseas and still make money? Right? You've got to factor in those types of things. And at the moment, and again, there are external factors which may stop that happening very efficiently. 
if you've been watching the news at the moment, you know, there's the trucks trying to get across to Europe with all your goods are stuck in Dover because there's no ships and things like that. And the paperwork's quite difficult. So that's cost benefit. Is it cost effective? Should you bother with it? Um, is there a better way to do it? Uh, we've then got the product life cycle. Again, this is go, going back on Windows 11. Windows 10, I assume, will be, it will be supported for a certain period of time because people are going to use Windows 10 for two or three more years. Hopefully, people will, will migrate over to 11 and 12 or whatever, but each product will have its own life cycle. Right? So, for example, the, the, the operating system I use, I'm currently using... Um, a version of Ubuntu, which is a long-term support one, which has got security releases for five years. So every five years, that becomes an end of contract. That gives me a nice window in which to keep a nice secure system going. So what is the timing and scheduling? A communication plan and reporting schedule. So these are different tools you'll use within the organisation to let people know within the organisation outside what is happening. So a communication plan. Who are you going to talk to? How are you going to communicate this stuff? Are you going to use the press? Are you going to use magazines? Are you just do word of mouth? Will you send out emails or newsletters to customers, etc.? Right. Uh, reporting. When is this stuff going to be reported? Big companies have to report at least annually what's been going on, how much money's been made, how much money's been lost, etc. Um, you might have, depending on the company you're working for, you might have slightly shorter reporting um, timetables. So when are you going to tell people what's going on? That's what that's about. Uh, work packages, breaking down deliverables. So, again, the more you can break these projects down into little sort of silos, the easier it is to manage rather than making it really complicated. Um, one person, one organisation, one department might be responsible for one set of tasks. Uh, same thing, milestones. So when is that going to be delivered? How is it going to be delivered? And what happens if you go over time? It's going to affect the budget. You'll then do some piece of software, presumably for doing prioritisation. So you might rate them one to ten, and if stuff's on a, and again, this is if you remember when we did this for practical purposes, we did um, a CPA diagram. So that one's priority one, so make sure that's done first. That one could be five, so that can wait a little while. Does everyone remember those CPA diagrams? So again, Gantt chart is just going to be straightforward. This happens, this happens, this happens, and one of these prioritisation will say, well, that can't happen until that happens. So that's got to be the sequence like this. Okay, they're dependent on each other. So you work out those dependencies, and those dependencies then determine how those are done. So if you're building a computer, um, it's no good building the computer and giving it to the customer and saying, in three weeks' time, we're going to get some memory, and you just need to stick it in when it arrives. You, know, it, you can't do it that way. You have to build it so that it functions before you send it out to them, if that makes sense. And then finally, in terms of planning, risk. This always comes up on the exams, risk management. It's quite a big topic, I suppose. Uh, risk and issue management. So, first of all, how do you identify what the risk is? Or can you identify what the risk is? If we were to take on a project to re-network this college, what would one of the key risks be And if we took that task on, if we were a company? What kind of risks might there be if we, if we were... Take, if we were Put in a bid to, to re-network this organisation, what would one of the main risks be to us as a company? Losing, losing data. Losing data when we do the backups, yeah. Make, making a real mess of the system when we do the backups. People being ill, yeah. Downtime. Increasing costs of products. Competition being better at it, etc. Right? 
So you identify the risks and hopefully, in order to identify the risks, you can then deal with them or at least put some plans in place saying, given that we're, you know, how are we going to make sure we, we, we really don't want to lose data? Use basic examples. How are we going to make sure we don't do that? I'm going to prioritise that task to make sure we do not lose any data whatsoever. Uh, other risks, the probability. Again, if you're, doing a, if you're doing a job, what is the probability of people getting ill? Now, you can statistically, the organisation will have HR reports and say, statistically, 8% uh, of the staff are going to be gone over any period of time. So you build that in. You say, let's factor it in and let's have somebody on, on, on call just in case that 8% does kick in and somebody's off for three or four days. Right? So you, you build in a probability. What is the likelihood of having another pandemic, etc., etc.? So can we build that into the project? That's risk management. The other thing is impact. You could say, well, if people are off for a week, it doesn't matter because we can bring in somebody else to do it. So the impact isn't as bad. Or if, if that person is off for a week, we're going to have to cancel the project because they are so central and critical to it. So you assess what the impact is based on those different factors. Uh, then prioritisation. So you say, given all these different factors, this is how we'll do it. We'll do it this, this, this way. And you prioritise it in order to mitigate the risk. So you say, ordinarily, we would start this project, this part of the project, three weeks in. However, we're going to move that back to two weeks in because so-and-so is going to be off on holiday that week. Right? So you have to tell you prioritise. And then analysis. What worked, what didn't work. Would I ever do that again? You've got three weeks into the project and everything collapsed because we didn't think about X, Y, and Z. Would we do it that way? No. Let's learn from our mistakes and make sure we don't do those again. So analysis is quite important. In terms of your project, your analysis is task four, isn't it? You're evaluating well, what worked, what didn't work, how would I do it next time? Mitigation controls. Can you prevent these things happening to some extent? Yeah. You can't necessarily predict for pandemics and people going off ill because you don't know when that might happen. But you can mitigate. You can have money in, in reserve. You can be able to have third-party organisations. We talked about, I think, in terms of networking, a lot of companies have hot and cold sites. Have you heard that terminology? Yeah. Right, so they'll have a, a, a complete mirror copy of their site always on. It's really expensive, but if anything went wrong they pick straight up again. Or if it's not that critical, they'll have a cold site, which every now and again, they'll send a backup to this company. And if they have a horrendous breakdown, they just say to the company, can you fire up our system? And they'll say, yeah, it'll be three or four days, but at least you've, you're back up and running. Right, so it depends how you want to do it. So that's contingency plans. If things don't go the way they're planned, how do you make sure that you're not going to be um, completely washed up? And finally on 9.1, quality management. Right, so how do you know that you're doing a good job? Um, monitoring project deliverables. If you set yourself a timeline, how well did you meet those timelines? You may not be spot on, but it might be close. Again, so what percentage were you in terms of meeting those, those objectives, those deliverables? Quality assurance, again, going back to that example of the five nines. If you take on a task, you're saying to the company, we guarantee that you will get X percent faster network when we're done. Right? So you give them some type of quality assurance. And it will be that much nicer to use. We'll, we'll guarantee that it's a much better system than it was before. And then you can measure it in some way. So you, come, you might give them a survey, which you're doing on one of your tasks. Task four is a survey, isn't it? On the survey, how nice was it to use? How, quick, how much quicker was it? Do you enjoy working here now? How many hours do you spend on this new system? All of those are measurable things where you can go back and say, we, deliver, we said we're going to deliver a much better quality service. Here's your survey saying that 90% agree, therefore 
you know, we've done a good job. Quality control, every now and again, you'll, you'll periodically go back to the customer and, and phone them up and say, are you still happy that things are working? You know, are there any problems or anything we can fix for you? So quality control, and then review and audit. So most companies will do an audit at the end. So they'll go back through all the documentation and look for the problems and try and make sure they don't happen next time. Because obviously you want to keep those jobs going. And if you don't do a good job, they'll come back and haunt you. Right, 9.2, consequences of ineffective project plans. So if you don't do all of those things, those great, wonderful things, and use all those plans and contingencies, etc., what will happen or what might happen? Uh, first of all, if you haven't done good budgeting and all that type of thing, you'll find out that you, you get there or your staff turn up in order to do something and they, they, they start unwrap all the stuff that you've ordered and there's only five and you needed 100. Right? You've totally under-resourced. That means a huge amount of time, extra money, extra labour, all sorts of problems, and it makes you look really bad as a company. So again, if you haven't planned properly and budgeted and, and worked all this stuff out, you end up being under-resourced. And the key thing is, I mentioned before, if, if the organisation can buy loads of stuff in bulk, so if it buys a 1,000 computers and gets a really decent discount, you get to the job and you haven't planned it out and haven't asked the right questions, and they say, actually, we need another 100, you go back to your supplier, they say, we can't give you a discount on that, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So you've totally under-resourced, it's going to cost you a lot of money and reputation, those things really damage you. Uh, you've got escalated costs, if you haven't budgeted properly and made these contingency plans, that stuff, you know, you haven't ordered enough stuff, next time you try and order it, it's gone up twice as much. That, that hits your bottom line. You didn't plan for that, and therefore you end up spending a lot of money you didn't want to spend. Um, exceeding timeframes, if you haven't budgeted and planned properly or haven't organised it, if you haven't made good timelines, realistic timelines and contingencies, you end up running over time. And again, if you've organised with the client that this project's going to take six months and you've got some co contract with them whereby you, you guarantee that, once it goes over six months, you're losing money because they only paid you for six months, which you factored in. So if it goes out 12 months, you've just lost a huge amount of money. So again, you really need to use the planning to keep on... On you time. just leave after six months if they pay for six months? No, because you'd have a contractual agreement whereby they would sue so you. For building, building, you have a contract for a certain amount, and then if it ends up going over, they just keep paying you, so they extend it. Yeah, again, it depends on the contract, so... But that's the upfront. If you upfront say, look, you know, this is how we're going to make it work, if, if it takes longer than that, we'll, we'll try and guarantee it, you're going, to, you're going to have to pay for it, or you're going to get no building. Slightly different, isn't it? You, you've got a bit more power over them. But if you're doing some work with some company where you don't have that sort of power, they say, this is all you can do for us. And when you go over, we're going to start asking for you for paying us because we're losing business now. Yes. So it really depends on the company, yes. but you're right. They do, they do work and then it ends up going over because they want more stuff done and then they just leave. Yeah. <laughs> you can do, yeah, some organisations can do that. It really depends on the contracts at the beginning, but this is the planning if you plan it that way, then that's what you can do, isn't it? And you've, you've got that power over them. Uh, unable to deliver outcomes. If you promise all this stuff and it doesn't work, then again, the contract may well come back and haunt you. You may have to pay extra money, maybe some compensation. Uh, negative environmental impact. Again, increasingly these days, uh, there are environmental fines that can be imposed on you if you don't do those things. Um, and again, you can see evidence of this, I suppose, in a really simplistic way. If you drive around the countryside, you'll see a lot of fly tipping. 
because it's expensive for people to go and take stuff in and be recycled, so they end up just chucking it out in the countryside. Um, but that's a negative impact on the environment. Health and safety risks. Again, if you haven't planned properly, if you haven't thought about these things, if people have an accident on the site, you're the one liable, so you're going to lose a lot of money and reputation because you're not looking after the people on site. And finally, scope creep meant that if you didn't think it through carefully and plan it carefully, it's going to start getting more expensive and more long-term. All of that leads to more and more money lost for that particular case. Like exceeding deadlines or extending them. Yeah, and that means more cost and more reputation damage. and It's all sort of escalates. Uh, and finally, I think, is it? Yes. Finally, 9.3. Finish early, did I? Uh, application project planning techniques in a business context. I'll go through these reasonably quickly. This sort of, we did some of this stuff, and it, to some extent you do it. No, you don't do it on your employee set project, do you? Anyway. Um, Program evaluation review techniques, a, a PERT chart is, is sort of about deliverables and time uh, and sort of relationship between these different things. So it's like a Gantt chart where you say, here's the amount, this, is a, this axis is over time, these are different jobs, this is how long they take, this is who's doing them. With a PERT chart, you'll build in, this one is linked to this one, this one's linked to this one, so they can't happen unless that one finishes. Uh, critical path analysis, again, which way do you go through it? it? Not necessarily linear. It might go like this. But again, some things are dependent on other things. Very similar. These are just different ways of representing how the progress is going to go. Uh, work breakdown structure. Um, you put it into little packages and saying, so there'll be a, a, a diagram for what's accounting's up to, who's been consulted, um, the different program methodologies in order to make the project work. So... Project managers will have different ways of doing things, depending on the project and their skill set. Um, and then we talked about this briefly, I suppose, but then this Moscow principle. So must have, should have, could have, etc. So normally, if something using that Moscow principle, if it's must have, then you've absolutely got to do that. Otherwise, the project fails and they, they take their money back. If you get through all the must haves, you then say, right, we've got through the must haves. You said you'd like to have this stuff. We think we can add that to your plan. We can get that done. If we've got time at the end and we've got money left, we'll give you what, what you didn't expect to have, what you would like to have, which is the, the W, would like to have. Okay. Any questions on that? So that's nine. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Hopefully you learned something. If you didn't, listen to it again. You might actually learn.